Welcome to the Ambitious Tribe podcast with your chief encourager, Cassie Pajarillo. It's time to drive ambition and build a better business with a plan that's clear, transformative, progressive, and profitable. Now for your host, Cassie Pajarillo. Welcome to the Ambitious Drive podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about everything, about having that Ivy League mindset, straight from my professor at Cornell University, who has guided me through as I have transitioned to a higher leadership role as a hotelier back when I was in the path of becoming a general manager. Now, it has always been a dream of mine to reach that rank, thinking, how come there are no women on top? Well, at least back in the day, I barely or haven't read or met women as the one running the show. I mean, why is that? It has always been my quest to represent, but as I climbed through up that ranks, I thought there's so much more. But hey, the thought and the dream still lingers. Maybe one day, someday, and I'm so happy to have him as my professor. This is why I'd want to have him on our guest, I mean, as our guest in our show. I'd like to share with you this amazing human. He's got over 15 years experience in human performance development and improvement. He's an experienced speaker, trainer, instructional designer, e-learning expert, learning strategies, change agent. Oh my goodness, it goes on and on and on. And he's also the author of Viral Leader. Hmm. So recently, he's the senior manager of the global learning and development at McCormick and Company and an online facilitator in the leadership and management certificate programs at eCornell, the online educational platform of Cornell University at Ithaca, New York. So he's someone who's all about leadership and sales, optimizing human performance, and maximizing engagement using effective learning. We're going to talk about that. So dear Driven and Ambitious, I'm thrilled, 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 and honored to have George Acuna with us on this episode as we further strengthen our mindset and our diverse diving into the digital space as content creator educator and leaders. Okay, so what does it take really to have that Ivy League mindset and become that Ivy League yourself? Okay, hi, sir. Welcome to the Ambitious Tribe podcast, Mr. Acuna. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, you know, over the years, we've had some conversations and I've seen your career evolve and develop. And now I see this uh, service that you provide to, to the community that you serve and the, that you talk to and that listen to you. And I, I have to say, you know, that it's, it's, it has been an interesting evolution to see and also an, an important one, I think, again, for your audience. I think that this is a uh, a, a missed uh, opportunity for for other people that, that that haven't realized it or haven't been able to to incorporate or put it together like you have, and so kudos to you for the great work that you've put together. I think this is fantastic. I think this is a uh, an eye opener for many people that that are looking for the kind of information that you share with them, that are looking for the best way the, 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 uh, the, to be pr to professionals, you know, in what they do and to, to realize, to come to that point of mastery, which is what we are all looking for and trying to, to achieve. So you're definitely well on your path. You're, you're, you're the, now the master teaching others and showing others and, and you have a fantastic network also. So it, that's something that we're going uh, to, I hope we're going to talk about today. The, the kinds of minds of the kinds of mentality, the kinds of, of, of viewpoints that we need to have to be able to, to produce the kind of work that you produce, as an example, uh, those are the kinds of elements that we're going to explore today a little bit. And I think that we're going to have a very interesting time as, as we cover those. 
Absolutely. You know, sir, um, should I call you sir, professor, or just George? Jorge <laughs> or George is absolutely fine. Jorge. I can take either one. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. So, okay. So the, the, what's happening right now in the digital space is that everybody, of course, is saying, hey, you don't have to have an Ivy League university um, bachelor degree or master's, mm -hmm. whatever, right, in order for you to become successful. Although, of course, I do agree. I'm sure it's pretty much still do agree as well, even if you're working for um, or Cornell and McCormick. Um, for me, it's really important as well to surround yourself with Ivy Leagues. And it's important to have some sort of background on how Ivy League people actually handle um, their business, um, their life in general, the mindset of it. It's just really different. It was really an eye-opening for me having to go through a Cornell, I mean, Cornell in general, it is so different from what I grew up with. So I wanted to ask you, since you have been in this space, maybe before we dive into that deeply, can you tell us how did you get in here I mean, in this, in this endeavor? That's an interesting question. So in, in my beginnings in my career, I actually started in mental health. And as I worked in mental health as a counselor, uh, I started with a bachelor's in psychology. And when I worked in that field, I got involved in training of my team members because we were going through some accreditation and some certifications. And, uh, and part of what I was involved in at the time in the training made me realize I really enjoyed getting people to that aha moment, getting people to, to that at a point where they felt good about what they did and how to do it better. And so I started to pursue my career more towards the direction of training. And I got involved with a company at the time who that uh, was involved in uh, training, mostly behavioral training, communications training. And in the process of doing that, I also learned, and uh, you know, I don't want to uh, uh, tell my age here too clearly, but those were, those were the days of the beginning of the internet. So as, as I, during those days is when I went for my master's in adult education, and I decided that when the internet was becoming a thing, I figured, I bet you that this training thing that we do in person is going to eventually, uh, going to become something that is done on computers. And so I went for my master's in adult education and specialist in online teaching and training. And I started in one of the, the first and foremost uh, online schools at the time that was recognized by the United States uh, uh, NSA the government agency as uh, their preferred vendor. So I did that with them. And uh, as I got more involved in the training world and I got more involved with, with uh, building my own mastery, if you will, building my own skill set. I eventually wanted to venture on my own and I became a consultant. Uh, so I left corp the corporate world to open my own business. That's also when I decided to pursue a master's in business administration because I felt that there was a need for that. So all things came together. I had the, the psychology background that taught me about behavior in general, you know, and, and what influences behavior, how, it, how it's created. Then I went into the education side of things and that taught me about how to make things stick, how to make behavior stick, how to, that's what learning is all about. And then I went into the business side and I, with a mindset of learning how the, the, uh, how to influence 
you know, how to, how to sell and how to market things. And uh, with that background and after, uh, you know, some years of, of experience, um, I was uh, actually approached with the Cornell. Uh, they, they had seen my, my, my uh, resume online, actually, through my, through my network. And I was approached because at the time they were looking for a facilitator who had experience in business, who had the kind of background that I had, who was also bilingual. And uh, they, they wanted someone who had experience working with different organizations in the human performance improvement area. And when I joined the, the, the organization at the time, and this was again many years ago, uh, I've been with them since I believe 2006, seven, 2007. So when I joined them, I, it was a transition. You know, you started to look at the world, you know, from the Cornell side, as you, as you call it, the Ivy League side of the world, you know, from that angle, from that lens. And uh, it was it was very interesting to see the the transformation, right? So we 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 as we prepare ourselves, you know, in the coursework that we provide, uh, we have of course Cornell professors that develop and do the research of, of all the work that we do, and uh, then we connect with them to be able to facilitate that content, you know, and we connect with the instructional designers that put the content together also for the teaching part, and in this process of of getting to know the content, we research it ourselves, and then we engage with the, our customers. And in, in, at the beginning, you have a specific group of customers that you work with. We, we get to know them very well. And, and in that process, we, you know, you, that, that's when you get the, uh, again, the, this Cornell, this Ivy League look at things where we start understanding the customer from that perspective, from the perspective of, this is what the research shows us. This customer needs to translate that into results. What does that look like? And so it is about that practical sense. It's about walking away with, with sound research first, not just opinion, but actually yeah. something that is based mm. on research and that you can prove and then how to apply it effectively because the research is only as effective as the execution. And so how to turn the words into actions that are actionable at the end, that produce the results that you expect, that you want and that you need. So that's really the beginning of it. As you were asking, you know, how do you, do you dive into this? You dive it by beginning there, by understanding that if you don't have a solid foundation, if you're basing your work in opinion only, you're in very shaky ground very shaky ground and unfortunately you probably have seen this a lot yeah many organizations or many many consultants even right when you're working with them they come up with very creative ideas very interesting ideas very unproven ideas and when it comes to practice they're simply either not practical not or you or you hit the reality wall that tells you this is not real this is this is not going to work so you know if 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 I, if I were to start somewhere you know if I were to tell someone else you know where do you want to start you know to 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 have this kind of mindset step one uh, educate yourself about and I would recommend any of the three areas if not all three you need to understand human behavior you need to understand psychology you need to understand how people learn you need to understand what makes what you say, what makes it stick. 
and the and the business side of things. So there's the, the psychology side of things, the educational side of things, and the, and the and this business side of things. And that is how to influence, because at the end of the day, it's all about getting team members, getting other people to do what you are asking them to do the right way, the way that you're describing it to do. So how to influence and therefore how to get results through those teams. So it, it is the the one of the most challenging things for anyone to do, for one of the most challenging skills for anyone to achieve, to learn to get to th get things done through others. That's the that's the key to learn that piece. You know what, what I remember. Um, I actually I take pride on experiencing that on such early age. Uh, I'm I'm pretty much one of the early adapters, or at least I, I'd like to think I am. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what I noticed though is that with the e Cornell methodology or the Cornell University methodology, I love the sense of community, and yes. it wasn't heavy in terms of um, the modules. Um, and it still baffles, not really baffles, but it's still one of those things that I'm still trying to understand. How can it be so powerful that we only had a couple of stuff to do, but we were all engaging. And what I learned from there was camaraderie mm -hmm. because there were so many general managers. I mean, it was funny. I mean, to those who are listening, um, I wasn't a general manager yet. Well, I, well, I hope I will someday. But I wasn't a general manager yet, but all of my classmates were general managers in the world. So I pretty much dove into a space wherein, oh my goodness, this 20-ish year old girl um, who is from Asia, barely knows what's happening in the world. Suddenly she's opened up to these people. Mm -hmm. And what I noticed was number one, the camaraderie wherein the general managers were actually helping each other out, wherein with what I grew up in, or at least with the environment I was on, like it's a dog eat dog world, wherein if you are, let's just say from Hilton, and then you are from uh, maybe Shangri-La, you're supposed to like bite each other. But in this point, what I saw was, what I witnessed was they were all like, oh, hey, you're fully booked. Why don't you throw out some people here with me? Let me help you. Or, hey, I have this challenge in this, you know, in this department, um, fellow general managers, what would you do? And it's just amazing how the mindset of these mm -hmm. leaders were really helping each other. And the best part, with my general manager as well, I've noticed that they were bickering on each other, or even if they know information, they wouldn't tell their, of course, their staff that, oh yeah, I know what happened in Hilton. I mean, there's nothing like it. So I was so, I was, it wasn't such a surprise though, but that is one thing that I hold true that I still, you know, um, I imbibe it in my, with my practice as an educator, as a marketer, as a consultant myself. And that was actually what I learned from you because you were the one who was directing us on how to actually do that. So I would love to ask you, um, Jorge, how, what is the magic? What is the, when you were creating a curriculum, it was so little in terms of the, the things to do, mm -hmm. but the community were so, were, were very helpful. How did the transformation, I mean, you were right how to make it stick and make and mm -hmm. for them to take action what was the formula is there such a formula or a framework to follow mm -hmm. 
So there are a couple of things that I suggest you know, to look at a little bit closer. And this is actually from, from the courses that we do. The interesting thing is that everything that we teach, again, is based on sound research and we apply it ourselves. So our, our marketing teams apply it, our, our, the professors apply it, you know, the facilitators apply it. So all these principles that, that we research, you know, we look into it first, we learn from that, and then we apply it. And so there, there's a, a course in particular that, that we talk about that we teach where we discover and we discuss the, the sources of power. You know, some people call it sources of power. We, I, I like to call it the wheel of power because it gives it a, a more dynamic sense, a more dynamic feel because there is no single source of power, but a, a, a group of sources that work together at different yeah. times that you can leverage. Right. So if, if you understand those, you know, so and where the sources of power come from, then I think that that's the, the, the beginning of getting to that kind of curriculum that you're talking about. So for example, you know, I, I, you mentioned just a few minutes ago, you know, you, you, you're, at the time you didn't feel like you were a leader. And so we talk about, so what, what, where does the power of a leader come from? So if, if, if I have people in my classes, I have people from everywhere. I have people who tell me, you know what, I've, I've been, um, I started in, as a, in retail. Uh, I was a mother then for five years, and mm -hmm. now I'm just getting back into the workforce, but I, ha I don't have any of these experiences that everybody else is talking about. How yeah. can I participate with others? I have people who tell mm -hmm. me I've been injured for six months and I was away from work and, and uh, now I'm back and, and, and I'm just trying to move into a different position, but I never had a, a managerial position where I was leading others. So I wasn't the leader. And when we have that conversation first about understanding where your power is coming from, we think of leadership as the, 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 the structural power, you know, the, the hierarchy, right? The boss at the top, that's leadership. Your, the, the power of the group, the power of the audience that you're gonna work with is something that you need to help them identify. And in many cases, the biggest power that you're going to have when you have an audience, especially a mixed group, is the referent power, the power of the relationships between them. So if you help them find that power in them, that's what creates that sense of community immediately. And that would you, if you might remember this, and the examples that we discuss and the, the, the activities that we put together, they are geared to be generic in nature. They talk about general problems or they will put a problem out yeah. there together that tells yeah. you something that everybody struggles with. Have you dealt with someone who is a difficult customer or a difficult coworker that is always negative? What do you do about that? What made it difficult what, or what made it easy to work with them? And how, or what, what did that a great leader that you saw, you know, interacting with that person, what did they do that you would do or not do? So that allows the person to talk about their own experience and other people can now relate to that experience. Other people can connect with you. And now there is not that fear that you described, right? It's, there is not the fear of, oh, we're different companies. No, now we're the same people because we have the same experience. We're relatable. So that referent power is the first step, you know, releasing that in people, allowing people to, to connect with each other and build that relationship. The other thing, if you, you know, you might remember this, but in, in my courses, I will always tell people, you're familiar with LinkedIn, right? Well, connect there, connect with me. Mm, and I'll give them my LinkedIn mm. address. And I can, so it's, I, I get rid of that authoritarian power. And I tell people up front in my communications, you know what, don't think of me as the professor that knows everything. I'm just one of you. I'm just facilitating the discussion. 
Yeah, you, I totally remember that. Yeah. You know, you I, I tell people, you know, that any one of us has a very high IQ, I'm sure. But together, no one of us is going to have the level of IQ that we can have as a team. So let's consider that. Let's let's work with each other. And so it is your responsibility to release that power in everybody in the group, that relationship power, by not position anyone in that authoritarian power to begin with and work with the team initially that way. Down the road, when you need the structures, if you need the structures, then you can set them up. But at least during the beginning stages, you're going to get the best results through that. And there are reasons for that. You may remember this from one of our lectures, but Google did some research on what the most effective teams are and how do you get the most out of them? Mm. Diversity, diversity. Mm. At the end of the day, it's diversity. Innovation, there has been study after study about innovation. What's the growth, what drives innovation? Diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of experiences, diversity of, without that diversity, if we're all clones, we have the same ideas and we have always the same results. There is no innovation. So that's the beginning of innovation, of growth, of, of, of sourcing. All starts with that diversity and that, and that starts with that relatedness, being able to create a, an even ground for everyone, an opportunity for everyone to, to have the conversation, which goes to another principle. Someone gets too quiet, you ask for their opinion. Mm-hmm. So considering different personalities, considering different, and, and that you will have that happen. So you'll remember the activities, the way that they're designed. We, we create classes that allow for the people who are expressive to express themselves. They can respond on video. They can respond if they want to talk. They can do it during live settings. If we do small live settings, opportunities for them too. Or if they need time to think it through and spend time with information before regurgitating or before responding, they can take their time. It's self-paced and people can go into the asynchronous discussions and put their thoughts there. And that's when they can interact with others. So once again, we considering that diversity as you consider how people build those relationships is what allows that beginning of the new growth of the new ideas to emerge. There's another type of power that then is created here, and that is referent power. I'm sorry, not referent, but expert, expert, expertise, expertise, the power of expertise. Where does that come from? Well, you have your expertise. You know, back then, as a young professional, you still came with your own knowledge. You still came with your own experiences. You came with your own expertise. Even if it was through the expertise of others, you saw good bosses, <laughs> you oh, yeah. saw good managers. Yes. And so, and you, but, but I've never seen your boss and I never seen what they did that was good. Hmm. I, but you have that knowledge and that knowledge is unique to you at that moment in that group that we're with. So allowing that expertise to come through, that was power. That's the power that you have. And that's what I need to be able to release as an instructor. And as a designer, I need to build those opportunities to create that for you to come out and be able to to bring that knowledge that you have with you. Imagine now when two people do that, when three, four, five different people with very different backgrounds do that. So first things first, again, we're going back to the beginning again, break away from the mentality and the mindset that you are coming into any group when you're building your your curriculum as the expert and the only one that knows the answers. There's a good chance that your knowledge is still never going to be as good as the knowledge of what you can crowdsource. Mm, Leverage that to your advantage. Leverage that 
And then you don't need to be anymore the expert or the most knowledgeable person. The best resource that you have is the person that can bring that from the crowd. Again, doing work through others is what I said at the very beginning, right? That's really the work that we do in this industry. When we're in the industry of human performance improvement, it's all about not what you know and what you can do. It's about how do I get others to express themselves, to be their true self, and do that in an environment where they're psychologically safe to express themselves so that then we can merge all this knowledge and all the skill set to make it a valuable tool for everyone. Interesting. Right. You know, I think I got it from you too, because now that I have, well, I, what I always tell my mentees as well, is like, I want, I would love to develop leaders, not followers. Mm-hmm. That it's so much important to me is that I am not dictating things to mm-hmm. you guys. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm facilitating. I mean, as much as mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, I think it's just a marketing word for me to call myself as a coach. But I'd rather be called as a facilitator or a mentor, or actually, not really much of a mentor, but really someone who's just like, okay, I'm here because this is my passion to guide you through to get to see the opportunities mm-hmm. that you can have, and I have this knowledge on how to make it happen Um, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day it's still your journey and you craft your own destiny um, Mm -hmm. with you know with with that curriculum so I really wanted to say thank you for creating such a curriculum wherein everybody you know we're going through things and you were right about not being the the, not being the main expert or not being Mm -hmm. the know-it-all um, right. because their expertise or those people who is in your cohort has more experience than you. I mean, in your case, you're not a general manager of a hotel. Mm-hmm. I mean, you weren't, you know, you didn't go through like being a barista up to the ranks <laughs> and stuff, but you were able to develop such a curriculum that touches on diversity and touches on, a, I mean, a problem and then going through a solution. Now, what I found to be very interesting here, um, Jorge, is that with the curriculums that we have in an Ivy League, um, in an Ivy League setting, compared to what we're doing in the educational space of coaching, marketing, sales, and all these things, with marketing and sales or what we're doing in a digital space, people would always say, oh, you know, you gotta be very specific, like two, three, three, very specific and guide them through, be a guide. But for me, mm, no, I mean, sure, you can guide them, but I don't wanna dictate it. But with with the Ivy League way, it's like with the Cornell way, it's really more of, okay, um, so this is the problem. Um, and then you design it in such a way that it takes them to a certain solution without you actually dictating what to do, but it's leading us there to that destination. Mm-hmm. So what was the, how do you, un, I mean, what was the understanding? I mean, how did you actually create such movement mm-hmm. um, without actually saying do this, do this, do this, do this? Mm-hmm. It's by the power of the question, the powerful questions. Mm-hmm. How did you came up with that so there are two things that that become your most effective tool here you know one of them is understanding that and if you remember the the group that you that we were with that we were working with 
in, in your case, you, you were from hospitality, but we also had people from, uh, for example, from some uh, uh, from Saudi Arabia who worked with an oil company, an energy company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had people from Europe and from Brazil that worked with a mining company. We had people, so there, there, there were many people from many different backgrounds, right? And so, what what led this group to not only merge, you know, and, and, and work together and help each other, and then individually to still walk away with something that made sense to their own industry and their own situation. So the, the, the two elements to the to that are this is never lose sight of the human experience. That that's the first step, right? The first step is understanding that this is about people first. Is is the, the, the principles about working with people never change. It, 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 it's, it's about the human experience and respecting and honoring the human experience. Mm -hmm. So if we begin from that human behavior piece, and that's what I was saying before too, right? So if you understand how people perceive that the sources of power, you know, the, the relationships, how they relate to other people, that's, that's the first step, understanding those relationships and being able to, to, to demonstrate that in the curriculum that you put together and the, whether it's a lecture, whether it's a resource, whether it's a story, how do I put this so that the person can put themselves in the context of that story? Mm. So once again, the question is not about how should you resolve their problem? I'll give you an example of a situation, mm. but I'm not going to tell you how you should resolve that problem. We're going to ask you, how do you work through that problem in your experience when you notice something like this in your workplace? And we deal with those original behaviors, those original situations that you are going to be able to work with on your own. It's a, it's a job of discovery. So if you're familiar with, and many of your, your listeners and, and viewers probably are, the, with, with appreciative coaching, the, the appreciative coaching uh, uh, a tool or the appreciative coaching uh, or appreciative inquiry method, that's really the, the, the formula here. And as you were indicating earlier, it's about listening. It's about asking questions. So appreciative inquiry is about making the, asking the right questions, not giving the answers, because it's not about me knowing the answer. It's about you knowing the answer. And that's what the job of the coach is, is to facilitate the emergence of the answer within you, to facilitate that conversation, that inner dialogue that helps you come to that aha moment where you realize you knew it all along, but now you are really reinforcing what you knew was the right thing or you're discovering that side of you that just hasn't emerged yet in it is not always the easiest thing to do but in <laughs> in the process of coaching you know that here are a couple of things that 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 might be helpful you know here's a, a a quick formula and we actually use this one uh, both at cornell as well as at mccormick we use this model where I tell people you know, to look at, look at the conversation, not from your perspective, but from the other person's perspective, okay? And share your perspective from their angle, from, 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 what, from their benefit. Mm. Make the other person the star of your story. Mm. So to study storytelling is very important. I think that that helps. But then to know how to incorporate that into conversation. So let's say that you have an individual that is trying to, to uh, improve in a specific area. Let's say that they've never done a presentation in front of a group and they're for the first time they're being asked to do a presentation in front of a leadership group. And, and you have some feedback for this person. You want them to, to improve on how they're doing this. So how do you give that feedback? 
So here is the formula. We start with them by using appreciative inquiry, by asking the questions. Tell me from your perspective, what worked well? And if you remember in the models that we used at Cornell, right in the courses, we asked the person, so here's a situation. What was positive about this? What was the good, the good part of this? What was, the, what was an, a positive outcome here? And then what could improve? So we start with that. We start with the first with the, what was good, especially if, you, if I'm talking about you specifically, what do you, what do you think went well here? How do you feel about what happened? And, and what do you feel was the best thing that happened here? Allow the person to express themselves. Allow the person to feel safe to say, okay, so if I'm going to talk about well about myself, I'm not going to, nobody's criticizing me. Nobody's putting me down for, for what I did. Allow them to, to shine. Allow them to be the heroes of their story. Then once they're done telling you what went well, that gives you also perception of, of, of what this person really is about. So as I read through the comments, as I read through what people are telling me and they tell me their successes, it tells me a lot about them and it, it allows me not to make assumptions. So managing unconscious bias is critical, right? I'm sure that you've talked about unconscious bias in the past. Avoid making assumptions about people. Oh, this person, you're from this country. You guys don't do these things very well. You don't, you don't relate to others very well, or you don't relate to others the same way that we do here in the United States. All those assumptions have to be removed. So for me, I have to look at everyone on the same plane as a human being, as going through the human experience. And they just told me where they think that they shine. Then now I have an opportunity to tell them, okay, let me tell you what I noticed worked well. And then we can enhance that. We can learn what to continue to do, what to do better. I also would like to ask you, and here's, we'll go back to your perspective. I would like to ask you, what do you think we could do differently so that you get a better result? So now we're allowing again them. So this is, this is again, we started with appreciative inquiry. What did you do well? Here's what I think you did well. What do you think we can do better? What do you think you can do better? Allow them to tell you not where they failed, but where they see improvement, where they see growth opportunities. And once they determine what that is, then now I can step in again and I can say, you know, that's very interesting. Again, now I don't have to make assumptions about what they think or, or, or don't about their performance. They've told me that. And now I can help them enhance that. And I can say, well, from my perspective, this is what I think you can do. If those are the areas that you want to improve, here are a couple of tools that I can give you that I can offer you that may be helpful to you. A lot of this goes back to understanding, like I said, you know, human behavior and understanding where, and I, and I keep going back to this power, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you don't provide psychological safety, this is what happens. When you take psychological safety from the table, when you take that away, what you do is that you disempower people. The second that you take away power from people or you make them feel like they don't have power over what is happening, they're going to do one of two things, actually one of three things. The same reactions that you see with fear, right? What are they going to do? They're going to run away this is not for me, I don't like this, I'm just gonna go away, make, it dis- make this disappear somehow. They're going to attack back, right? They're gonna fight. So the fight or flight syndrome or the freeze. So this is fight, flight, freeze. Three things that people deal with, three ways in which most people deal with fear. Take psychological safety away from the table, take power away from people, that's what happens. So that's why I go back to the power wheel. What can I give this person? What can I help them enhance? If we help them see that they have expertise in their life, if we help them see that it's not always about structure, if I don't take on that structure, authoritarian role, what I have to tell you how to do and how, how you should be, if I allow 
to build the relationship power, the relate that relatable piece. That's how you get to that level of conversation. So, you know, again, so I mentioned a few of the tools here. So, so we talked about, you know, the, the, the wheel of power, understanding how that relates. We talked about the, uh, we call this the Z model, by the way, that's the or Z model in APZ. Um, so that has to do with, you tell me how you did well, and I reflect on you what you did well. You tell me what you can improve, and I reflect back to you what can be improved. And uh, that's all tied to appreciative inquiry. So those will be three very good practical tools to, to research a little further. I totally agree with what you said about um, relating it and then the power of actually juicing the information from them and mm -hmm. then they will take action according to their own realization. It's really you framing um, mm -hmm. them to, to realize it. And um, you know, it's so true because the world where, well, I also came in from, I mean, I've been in and out to the tech space as well. And the tech space are very structural in terms of, it has to be like this, it has to be the perfect science because if you take out this one tool, it's gonna fall apart. Right, so you got to do it exactly the way that it is. It's like baking as well, or else the bread is not going to happen, right? But in terms of human connection, there's no such a thing as there's one tool that needs to be in there. <laughs> it really has to be dug deeper and the power of will. You know, how do we actually deal with, okay, so I, for me, leadership means influence. Mm -hmm. Leadership means confidence. Leadership means understanding. And uh, I loved it when you said about it's it's you facilitating and not just them, you know, just doing things just because you said so. Um, so how do you actually build that influence? Because I remember when I was in Cornell, I mean, I was doing the modules. At first, of course, I felt like a really inferior. I mean, I felt like... Mm -hmm. No, that's not inferior, insecure rather, mm -hmm. because I was with the low general managers and it's my dream, right, to become a general manager. And suddenly, you know, oh my God, I mean, I'm, who am I? Who is this girl? But because you created that safe space through those actionable steps, how did you actually influence us to have this some sort of mindset? Because we were all basically friends. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. for the couple of them, actually. Um, so how? I mean, how did you make this level? So what? What? And if, if you remember this, you know, we always do um, expectation setting from the start, and that means starting with ground rules. So if if we look at that first, you know, what, what does that look like? There, there is another section of the power of will that I'd have to utilize. And I start with that at the beginning of the class and that is the coercion. Coercion is another type of power that you can apply. But coercion, it sounds like a negative word, like a bad thing, right? Or you're yeah, being coerced to do something. <laughs> but in reality, coercion can be also a positive thing. Uh, that, you know, for example, uh, uh, in the highway, a speed limit is probably a good type of coercion, right? We don't want everybody to speed away at any speed that they want. So forcing people to stay within limits, forcing people to stay within lanes is a good thing. The same thing happens when you're facilitating and when you're working with groups and, and the human experience to provide those limits for people first so they can feel that safety. So they can feel that this is, and, and as long as they understand that this, the limits are there for their safety, right? So limits, for example, that we're going to respect each other. 
the, regardless of our level of experience and expertise, we're here to we're here to help each other. We're here to respect each other's opinion. We're going to be not just tolerant but inclusive mm. about what is happening in our conversations. So, to 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 provide an example, and and this may be a, a little. Um, um, difficult for some people to hear and maybe may controversial even for some people mm-hmm. but it I, I was working with a colleague and she reached out to me and I had coached her at the beginning of her career with us with Cornell and she reached out to me and she said I'm, I'm struggling with with one of my classes and I said okay so tell me a little bit about it what what is happening and she said I feel like I need to to uh, ask this person to remove her posts and I feel that, that they're inappropriate, or, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they are. And I said, so tell me more about the post. What, are, what is it that is bothering you about it? And she said, well, she's mentioned God in every post. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, she talks about her leadership skills and how she, she wants to, you know, she, she thanks God because of, of the opportunities to, to learn these skills from other people. And then in another post, she says that God has guided her in her life to, to, to apply this other principle. And then in another post, she said, so without getting into which religion this person believed in or, or knowing you know, what, what God she was referring to specifically, you know, and then from what, which, which, which type of religion this was, we, we started having this conversation about our values and our principles. And again, this is, this is the, the positive side of coercion. We all have to begin from a, a common set of values. And that's really what sets the, 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 the tone for everything else that we do. And our values as an institution, as, a, as an academic institution, an Ivy League level academic mm-hmm. institution, have to be those of inclusion and acceptance. Now, it, had this person been proselytizing, in other words, trying to convince other people to join you know, her views and religion or criticize other people's views and religions, had that behavior happened, that would not be acceptable and that would not be conducive to a, a psychological safety type of experience. And then we have to exert coercion more along the lines of correction, right? But in the meantime, you know, while, while that is not happening, we do need to set up a level of, of understanding that inclusion is what allows diversity again to emerge. Is that diversity is what allows inclusion to emerge? And and if if you look at you know the question of how do I come up with the right curriculum, how do I come up with the right courses? Look at what people are looking for. You know what do they need? What people need is to belong. That's the most basic need that everybody has. Yes. And right now, there's a lot of talk about diversity and inclusion. And you know what is missing? They talk about diversity. They talk about inclusion. They talk about equity. And oftentimes, what they miss is the whole point, the end, the goal to all of that. And that's belonging. The reason why we have all those three is because we want to belong. You get to that point of of allowing everyone to feel like they belong in this group, in this conversation, because they, we need you in this conversation, because you are valued in this conversation. That's when you get the outcomes that you're looking for. Yeah, it, it is. It, it is challenging for some people because then you have to you have to admit that you have biases. You have to admit that you have preferences. You have to admit that that that. And then we go back to unconscious biases, right? That I may not even realize that I had. I hear something that doesn't sound right to me and, and, and I have to judge, I have to look at myself and, and look at that mirror and say, 
is this the right thing to be upset about or do i or is this an issue that i need to confront with myself so not not every group is ready to do that and that's why setting those expectations at the beginning is very important for yeah. yourself first and then yeah. for everyone else i think for us um as well um it what I would say when my mentees also get to have that kind of challenge uh, with their clients, whether it's coaching or consulting, I would say, I would tell them, okay, what happened during the onboarding process? Mm -hmm. It's setting the expectation. It's setting, okay, what is, what are your boundaries and what are their boundaries? Did you actually meet halfway or are you, are you, did you just say, okay, go dictate to me what you're, what I, what I need to do? Or, I mean, how is it like, and 100% of the time, whenever I ask them that, whenever they have challenges, they would say, oh, yeah, we forgot about that. Oh, yeah, we weren't able to manage it. Oh, yeah. And like, oh, how do we now course correct it? Right. Mm -hmm. And like, okay, it's simple as, okay, let's sit down. Let's take an audit. What's been happening? And that just that the tone, it's not about doing the wrong things, but rather you just want to correct what is happening because you're not on the same page. Mm -hmm. Um. And I love it when you said about the God thing, because I think especially in Asia, we're all into this religious thing. I mean, more often than not, but it's good to know that there is a way to actually course correct that. But I, by asking ourselves, okay, are we really going through that biases or is it really something that is driving them out from safety, right? So I think I love that part. Um, and I think that's the magic of having an Ivy League setting. What, well, at least what I've learned and what I'm applying as well in my business, that it's the sense of belonging. Like it doesn't matter what strategies are there because strategy is everywhere. But the belongingness, it's rare, um, right? I mean, that's why maybe there are people in the mental health space, like they want to talk to these people because they, they, they know what they're going through. There's no biases and all. So thank you for pointing it out that people are people. It has, doesn't matter if you're from the Ivy League or you're not. It's just a matter of knowing that you're all human beings. Okay, um, pretty juicy. <laughs> I would love to ask you. Yeah, go ahead. You were saying. I was going to mention. So that there is. You, you, we started that conversation talking about what influences people, yes, right? Influences people, right? And and I, I wanted to point out, you know, a simple sales principle, right? I mean, I, I'm not going to walk. At the yeah. back of the street, and yeah. you know, I, I, no one's gonna walk me. Hey, psst, come over here! Come over here! I have this watch. It's a really special watch. It's very expensive. You want it? I'm probably not gonna buy it. <laughs> sketchy. So, sounds a little sketchy, doesn't it? So the, the first principle of of influence is people have to like you. You know, you have to like the person you're talking to, and and liking implies trust. Mm. And that level of liking and that level of trust, when people are looking at you as an expert, and in our case, when people come at us, uh, to us in our classes, the first two questions they have about me, and I know this stuff even before they ask, but the first two questions they have in their mind are always the same. Are you enjoying and learning a lot? Let me know. 
Hey, I'm breaking my own episode to invite you for your high-ticket next-level masterclass. If you're a coach or a consultant tired of serving one-on-one clients and ready to have that four-hour workday without compromising client results, have the work-life integration you've always wanted, and that multiple six to seven figures by creating, selling, and launching your own group coaching program, well, all you gotta do is join us and save your seat. Register through CassiePajarillo.com. I'm so excited to see you and meet you real soon. Now, let's get back to today's episode. Can I trust this person? And do they really know their stuff? Yes. <laughs> so totally. as an expert, and, and, and the, but the first question, right? The first question is, do I like this person, right? Is, can I, can I, is this person someone that I can trust? And if you make someone belong with you, they will trust you. And the biggest, that's why that was the foundation. That belonging piece is always the foundation because of that liking principle. And then the trust, the second piece of trust is the second principle of influence and that is expertise, similar to the will of power. There is, when you have expertise, when you, have, when you prove yourself that you have the knowledge that this person is seeking and you demonstrate that to them, then okay, yeah, I can trust that this person is gonna do that. The next piece that is gonna help you with influence is consistency. If you're telling me that your values are inclusive, that your values are, and, and you set the tone and you set the expectations to be belonging, but then you start shutting me down or you start shutting someone down in your group and you exclude that person from talking or not include them, even if, even if all you're doing is allowing the person who is quiet not to participate and, and therefore ostracizing them you know, keeping them away from the rest just by doing that. Even, even though it wasn't you that you didn't tell them to, to not speak, they chose not to and you, and you chose to go along with that. Even if you didn't include that person, that is not consistent with a mindset of inclusion. So do you want to influence other people? You have to be liked. And that means you have to set the expectation of inclusivity for everybody. You have to make sure everyone belongs. Know your stuff. <laughs> Be, an, be the expert that you say, yeah, be the expert that you say you are and be consistent. So yeah. those are the, the, at the very most basic level for influence, that's where you're going to have where uh, the most power to be able to change that or to influence, to influence others. You know, it's a little controversial here at Spawn the Philippines. So we've been having these questions, like everybody now is an expert. So it mm. turns out to be very icky. Oh, I'm not sure if, how is it over there, especially now in this pandemic. Um, is it safe to say that, I mean, for someone to call yourself as an expert or would it be better if other people would actually put the title on you? What do you think, mm. what's your opinion about that? <laughs> so it, 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 if you will see similar things, I think in, in the United States as well as in Europe, that there are experts emerging left and right all the time. Yes. And, and people will put you to the test. If you're going to say that you're an expert, you better be ready to demonstrate that. And that can come from a different variety of sources. It could be, uh, the, the referral source now is being questioned a lot because mm, there's, yeah. there have been, especially online in the online world, there's yeah. so many fake referrals. Yeah. 
Oh, yes. And both positive as negative as well as negative. You know, you may have detractors. You may have people who are trying to be negative about you when you are an expert just because they're trying to detract people away from you. Which, which, you know, they, they may be just disgruntled. They just don't like you. So that that is a difficult situation nowadays with this online review systems. You know, that, that you can't really trust them. You cannot believe them. Anyone can claim to be an expert. And right now, really, the, the, the hardest thing is that nobody really knows anymore what's, what real is, right? Uh, ever since the, the birth of, of fake news, you know, as an expression, I think that that turned everybody, everything upside down. So the, that puts us in a position where we have to rely on, on other ways of showing expertise. At Cornell, you know, we, ha we, we have history and we have consistency through that history. And we've developed that story. Really. So we created as our story. We developed our story. So what I tell people to do is, yeah, if I'm new at this, I'm a new consultant, I'm a new trainer, I'm a new facilitator, you know, the people that I coach at Cornell, I don't have the history you have. I don't have, so they come like you, you came at the beginning, you know, I, I haven't had these experiences. I haven't worked in hospitality. I, my experience was in this other field. What, what do I do when they show up? So we have that conversation about, you know what, you, your expertise may not be there, may not be in hospitality. Where is your expertise? Talk about that. And we go back to the human experience, you know, and where you feel safe talking, you will demonstrate that you are safe. You know what will happen? You will demonstrate that you belong. You know what that means? You're going to be assertive because mm. the stuff that you do know, you will talk about with confidence. Mm. Don't talk about what you don't know. Exactly. exactly. Because, that, because then the lack of confidence will show real quick. <laughs> People yeah. will see that. But if you talk about what you know, and that, that, so there is a level of responsibility here also that I need to have as a professional. I don't stay put, meaning that I teach my courses, you know, and, and I've taught some of the same courses ever since 2008. You know, we've revamped them, we've cleaned them up a little bit, we've added some resources. But even though I'm teaching about, let's say, influence, you know, applying strategic influence is one of the courses that I've been teaching in the last two years. I've been teaching the same course for two years. You would think, you know, I, I memorized it and I, and, I, and I can just repeat the, the content time and again. You know, what I, you know what I was doing this morning? I was reading about how strategic influence works. Oh. So I keep studying. I keep enhancing yeah. my knowledge and my expertise. And as I talk about the resources or as I talk about the ideas or the concepts with my groups, I make sure that I make reference then too. Again, now it's not the expertise power doesn't always come from me directly. It can also come from the other sources of reference. So ref referent power is not just the network that I know, but also the resources that I have access to. So in the latest reviews, you know, from, from uh, let's say the Harper's Business Review, right? So that's a good magazine to be a member of, you know, and mm -hmm. they're available online. So worldwide, you can access them. Mm -hmm. So from there, I know there is a research or a study. I go to Gallup a lot. So the Gallup polls, they have a lot of research that they share freely a lot so that I can learn a lot from that. So I keep on top of research, on top of, of, of statistics, on top of people who are researching the topics that I'm interested in or that I'm teaching. And then I can make reference to that. Even if I am not the one doing the studies, I'm not the professor in the college doing the research that they're doing at Cornell, but they pass that information on to us. And I make sure that I know that. So may, being able to reference that and being able to quote that is very important. Now, if you don't haven't had the experience to, or the opportunity to do that, create the experience, create the opportunity. How could you do that? You do it through your blog. 
You did it through your website. You did it through writing a book. You did it through writing uh, uh, articles. So if you get into the habit of writing on a constant basis, you know, something that you learned, rewriting what you learned journey. about. Journey. Mm. And you, how that relates to your experience, your expertise, right? Yes. And then interviewing others, just like we're doing now, interviewing others about their experience and what that looks like for them. Then you learn about that experience. And more and more you become that expert that you want yes. to be and that you can demonstrate that expertise. Yeah, I totally agree. Oh my goodness, I love it. Um, when you just said about having to reference other people or having to include yourself and also include them because it's your obsession. Like ex Expertise mm -hmm. is not just experience alone, but it's also your obsession because you're right. The confidence would show. And what I learned about as well with the Ivy League school, I mean, at least with the, with the Cornell University um, uh modules that you created and the way that I saw things or still seeing things is that when it comes to social proof, the testimonial isn't like just a quote of people saying, oh yeah, I loved it. Oh my goodness, no. What I learned, which I would do in my practice as well now as a, as a I don't know, like, like the word coach, <laughs> as a consultant coach, whatever you want to call that, right? Um, I, I, I actually coach is not a bad word, you know, they, they, you, you, have, you have to remember that it, it is a good word. So yeah, yeah, own yeah. it, I, I, I'll, I'll give you that advice. Own it, own it. If, own it, if own it is. It. If it is what people need, and people do need coaching, the two most critical skills, we've done some of this research ourselves, mm -hmm. two of the most critical skills that people say, I'm not getting from my boss, is feedback and coaching. Actually, you, you know, that's true. That is the, that is why I, I got into this space. I'll, I will talk mm -hmm. about it a little bit. <laughs> but, <laughs> but what I saw, going back, just to, um, just to wrap that little piece mm -hmm. that we just talked about, what I learned as well, but what I learned from you was that, again, with the terms of social proof and testimonials, it's not just about the quotes, but rather give me the case study. Like, mm -hmm. how did that happen? Um, and I wanted mm -hmm. to really thank you for that because it's been showing to how I actually do things and who are the people that I really wanted to speak with. Um, so, yeah, so I wanted to say thank you to that. Now, in terms of the Cornell way, um, but this is just my observant or my, my observation, of course, like the testimonial, the social proof, and all those things. Um, it influences towards the sale. I mean, let's face mm -hmm. it. At the end of the day, why are we coaching? Why are we consulting? Why are we doing all these things? Of course, there's a reciprocity, right? Um, in terms of sales. Now, in mm -hmm. terms of influencing people towards the sale, it's amazing how, of course, Cornell has a name on itself. It's the Harvard of the hotel years. Oh, oops. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's fine that's fine <laughs> right but it's both of things it has created its name on its own so mm -hmm. in terms of that what are the other ways in order for you to influence people to come to you and create it into a sale aside from the, the storytelling of belongingness mm -hmm. So now we're talking about that draw, right? What, what makes me want to have what you have to offer? So here's the other side of Cornell that you didn't get to see, uh, but this is the part of the conversation that I have when I, for example, recently we were working with a bank and their EAGs, their groups, and they were, they were asking us to, to join the conversation and they were telling us, so we, we, we have some needs and, and, and we want to know if there is an opportunity here you know, to see what, what could work. So as we're having that conversation, 
once again, you know, it's, it's about listening, right? So we talked to them about, tell me about what you think is going well right now. So remember the conversation, the Z model that we used? Tell me what you think is going well. And they told us, and I said, okay, so based on what I'm observing and what I'm hearing, I think that these are some of the things that you do in fact do well. Now tell me and explain to me how, what are some of the things that you want to grow? What are some of the things that you want to develop? So learning to ask questions and learning to ask where the person feels or where the group feels that their needs are going to be that and extract that from them, allow them to bring that to you instead of you telling them where the problem is. The, 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 consultant per se, you know, uh, me as a consultant in that circumstance, our job is to help them see what they're blind to. So those unconscious biases that they have, that they haven't seen, that they haven't discovered, that's what we're there for, to help them discover that. And we help them discover that through questions. So when we had the conversation, you know, in this particular group, we noted that it, the particular group that they were working with in leadership they did not want to stand out. That was one of the things that came up. And mm-hmm. the, but, but if they did, the few that didn't want to stand out, I said, okay, tell me about them. You know, the people who are really good at their job, they said, well, they're very good individual contributors. Mm-hmm. They just don't, you know, we, we, we just don't know they're, they're, how they are with teams. And I said, interesting, in the conversations with some of these people, they were telling me too, I, I don't like you know, working with other people because I don't want to depend on them. I like to, I'm, I'm a very good, very, very tough worker. So I like doing everything myself and I do everything. And that's when they give me a task and it's with a team, I just take it over and just do it for everybody. And, and that's how I prove my value. So that conversation of, of helping them realize and discover where the problem is, how do you create opportunities for those individuals that you want to move up in the, in, in, in the career, in the, in, in the world, into management? What opportunities have you created for them to do that? And then having, if the answer is, oh, we haven't, they discover it. I, I knew the answer, you know, you haven't done this, but I'm not going to tell them that. It's, it's asking the yeah, question. Making them realize How did you do that? Yeah. And so when you ask the question about what is missing and you ask them, how have you done this? Or what have you done to create this? And how has that worked so far? What is the outcome that you've received? Is that the outcome that you wanted? What is holding you? What, what is happening there? What do you think may be happening there? As you help them discover that conversation, that discovery of, of what they want to have and, and what the new future could look like. So it's a discovery of current state and future state. And that's where I come in as the, as the provider or the facilitator to that solution, to the path to the solution. Think of, of, of the facilitator as a Sherpa, right? So yeah. I, I, I'm the one who, at the end of the day, the Sherpa is not the one that gets the, 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 in the news. He made it to the top of the, of the Himalayas. No. But without that Sherpa, that person didn't make it there. <laughs> no, right? That's true. That's true. The facilitator's job is to make the other person shine. To tell the story. You know, help mm-hmm. them tell their own story and make them shine. Make them be the hero. If you can do that again through discovery, this is where you are. This is where you want to be. Let me walk you through the steps to and whatever tools you use. You know, it could be something as basic as teaching them how to use smart goals. Right. Starting from there and build up from there. If you get them to that point, and then at the end of the day, they feel like, hey, I did this, and you go, yes, you did, fantastic job. 
they'll want you back for the next person. They'll want you back for, so it, it is interesting what happens every time that you do that. When you are not the story, when you're not the main story, when you're not the main character of the story, you let them be, they'll keep wanting you back. So it is a, 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 a difficult thing for a lot of speakers and, and, and contractors to do, because a lot of them, I noticed, we like to be the star. We want to be the the shining, you know, savior, you know, of everybody. And as much as you want to be that, and can, and, and I'm sure that you can do that. You really need to learn to take that second role. You know, that's true. Um, you know, I mean, there are people who would do marketing, and I'm also guilty sometimes when I would say, you know, this is what, what happened to me. This is what, you know, this is my story. This is blah, blah, blah. this is how I became to be. I mean, at some point, yes, you have to share that because people need, mm -hmm. to, I mean, who's, who's going to tell your story anyway, right? So right. At some point, you got to do that. But at the, at, as you onboard people in, right, um, mm -hmm. I think it, it, it's really important that you make them see what is possible in order for them to embody it. And mm. once that they get to embody it, they, may, they, they, they would want to become it. Mm. And then that's where the transition happens. And, and I, I would suggest for people who are listening to this to go back and look at, let's say schools like Cornell or any other school. And, and okay. what, if there are white papers, that they can mm -hmm. share or they're sharing or yeah. even consulting firms Data. like Deloitte or GE or Xerox, you know, so companies like Accenture and look at their white papers, look at the stories that they tell and look at how they tell the story. They will tell you a great story of how this customer was able to get from previous state to from current state to new state or just to desired state. And if you want more information, contact us. Yes. <laughs> so, Yes. It, they were the ones who did the job. You know that it was them that did the job. But once again, they weren't the star. That's the interesting part about it. They may say, yes, you know, with our help, you know, we helped them develop. So it's not we did this for them, but we helped them develop their skill to do A, B, and C. Because at the end of the day, this is the, the, the challenge. And this is the, the biggest challenge for us in the school system, right? In, in Cornell, and as an academic piece, I, I am most valuable to you when I can help you walk away with the tools that you need. And you remember this at the end, the, every tool that you will end up with the project that you work on is a template to work on that type of problem any other time that you face it. So if this project was about how to influence other people, if this project was about how to manage difficult people, if this project was about whatever that template was at the end of the final project that you worked on, that's a template for how you can work with the next difficult person that you have to work with. And you go through the steps. Next time that you have to do a presentation, these are the steps for creating a great presentation. You can use that for any other presentation that you're going to do next. So if you walk away with that tool where you can now start telling your story, that became that valuable resource that when you need another tool or when you need someone to learn the tool, you come back to us. So in the, in the, in the opening, so that's the reciprocity that we were talking about at the beginning. It's not, it's not just the exchange of monies, but yeah. it's also the fact that I gave you value. What is it that you value? That's Worth the question that I need to ask. Yeah. And if, yeah. I can, if I can give you something that you can walk away working with that is practical today, that is gonna make your life easier, more efficient, more powerful, that's valuable.
that's a real value. Not the total true. It becomes a lifetime tool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That you can just apply. I mean, it's it will become second nature to you or innate in you. Um, because you know that there is a, f- a feeling, there is a logic, there is it, it, it encompasses everything. Okay, this is really interesting. Um, when it comes to understanding, of course, of people judging you, um, whether you are in the online space or maybe you're in the educational space, whatever space that you may be part on, I would love to ask you, like, since we are all into human behaviors, how does, I mean, especially now that people are, yeah, I'm a coach, go by, go enroll with me, and yeah, or with Cornell, actually what I told my my mentees do, there is a way of not actually doing the rah, rah, rah marketing. And one way um, to show you and exemplify that, which I applied as well, because I have lawyers as my clients, um, I learned along the way. What I did was I actually observed how Cornell, Harvard, Stanford actually do it. There's no rah, rah, rah. So I just wanted to ask you, that's judgment. I mean, how does a Cornell or an Ivy League mindset or an Ivy League execution mm-hmm. or ways happen without, I mean, by, by, by how do you create the judgment to become an Ivy mm-hmm. type of person? And I hope I'm right. asking, I'm asking the right questions. <laughs> no, I, I think, I, think I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And going back to my experience with the bank, you know, that we were doing this work with the EAGs, is yeah. as you as you describe exactly. You know, I, we we don't come in saying, "Well, you know, we've done this research. We are the experts. We know best. So you you, you better listen to us because we know our stuff, right?" That is that is not belonging. So we go back to the belonging That's concept. True. Right. We start from a different angle. We start from the angle that. The person of interest, and I go back to this, this the, 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 the key, the start of the story is you. So the person of interest here is you. And that's why we go back to asking those questions and the appreciative inquiry piece, asking the questions. Who are you that you need to be? And in our marketing, if you look at that, if you look at how we, we relate to other people and, and, and how we communicate yeah, with other people, mm-hmm. the question is, Yes, you know, we, we have our brand and people and we recognize and we've created a brand over the years and we're very proud of that. So we don't lose we don't lose sight of that. We have pride in our brand and the service. So I think, you know, because we've worked very hard for it. So I think that that's that's something to be proud of. And it's OK. You know, just, just like I said, you know, be proud of being a coach. If you're a good coach, be proud of it. Own it. So we own that part without any problems. But we also don't tout it. Right. We're we're we're. we're you know, some people have this 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 mindset of shamelessly touting those things, and and we don't have the need to do that, because as 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 a famous coach once said, you know, when when you go into the championship, walk like you've been there before, right? Mm. You, we walk like we've already been here. You know, we walk with a level of confidence that we don't have to prove ourselves anymore. Simulation, is that what you call it? Sometimes you gotta be <laughs> there, and then yeah. So we, we, we're at the point where we don't need to, to prove to anybody, you know, that, that we are who we are as an institution. What we do need to do is help you. So this takes me back to a, a quote by Collins, Jim Collins, in the, you know, when he was interviewing uh, uh, Peter Drucker, you know, one of the foremost authorities in, in, in anything management. He and, and uh, uh, Jim Collins, you know, the author of Good to Great, you know, he's, he worked very, uh, very hard at, 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 at researching companies, you know, what made them 
go from good to fantastic to really great companies. And, and, and he has a lot of research and he has a lot of books that he's written. And he talked in one of his interviews with Peter Drucker, you know, about how he, he was told by Peter Drucker that, that he, he had the wrong mindset. And he said, what do you mean? He said, basically, he was trying to solve a problem. You know, he was trying to, to answer these questions. And Peter Drucker told him, you know, that, that, that's the wrong viewpoint. And the, the right viewpoint is this, be helpful. And that's what our customers need from us. They need help. And we are, and we're trying to provide that. We try to be helpful. So in the messaging, read, read the messaging, look at the, the advertising, look at the way that we talk to other people, look at our customers base. We have a lot of not-for-profits. A lot of not-for-profits work with us because we're not there for the business. We're there to help. And, yeah. and, the, and the business follows. You know, right. the business That's comes true. after that. That's true. Because when, when you're there to help, then it's, it's a whole different mindset. It's a whole different, pers- it's a whole different approach. And when I, you see the instructors in our classes, time after time, when you go to the classes and you hear their feedback, they're honestly there to help you. They're not to criticize. They're not to, they're just trying to help. And, and then you, the, the mirror neurons kick in, right? So now people start to do the same thing. They see you do this. Now I want to do this for this other person. And that was the interaction that you described at the beginning when you saw that regardless of your experience or lack of experience, when everybody connected and meshed, all of a sudden, everybody's here to help each other. That's that outcome of the, of the belonging part is that when we have a need and we belong, when you're with family and you have a need and you belong in family, what happens? Everybody helps each other. Everybody pitches in. Everybody has something to contribute and collaborate with. And there is no judgment. Yeah, and that's exactly. why people it's come fun. to us. That is just so beautiful. And I've, I, I, I'm, I'm a testimony of how <laughs> it is like because I've tried other, um, other online schools that I didn't even have finished it. I mean, I was just there for like, what, mm. Sam? And I felt like I was robbed. Um, mm. it, it, it was really incomparable uh, because with what I experienced, which I also, well, at least I try to apply to what I'm doing or best, um, doing best, I'm actually not trying, right? Is to have that reliability. That's just you said, this mm. is something that you teach also. And then giving that assurance that, okay, there is a way to do things when it comes to marketing yourself without the rah, 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 I'm too noisy, hell go by me, right? But it's really more of like, okay, wait, I, I guess I do mean business, but I want to serve you more first. But it doesn't mean serving other people means also cheapskate. I mean, it doesn't mean lowballing yourself mm-hmm. as well. Um, okay, so I want to touch on that real, real quickly because um, I know, okay, so first what I've been learning here is that there is no judgment. I mean, when you create an online space or an educational tool, or in this case, a curriculum, should always think of the human behavior. You always should think of assurance. You just don't think about um, being having a human connection and all those things. At the end of the day, it's just being human. Um, but I would like to ask about the pressing question that people are getting or at least on, in their heads. Like, why should I go to a Cornell or a Harvard or a Stanford mm. or all these Ivy League? It's frigging expensive. Mm. Um, if I can also learn it through maybe a Coursera. <laughs> of course. Right? So how do you differentiate that? Well, I, I, I like 
the 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 approach that uh, another um, fellow had you know a while ago this this came from a, a fellow in a different business completely and one of my customers for many years was the amway corporation and I, one of the things that i remember is a quote from one of their uh, former ceos uh, when people talked about uh, his products, you know, the products of the company, and, and someone said, well, your products are just so expensive. And this person, you know, the CEO, looked back at the person and said, well, quality isn't expensive. Yeah. And that's what I think that we need to, to, to understand as professionals that are providing services to other people. And as, as, uh, as an organization, as an institution, ourselves at Cornell, you know, we, we, we have we've created an environment and we've created content that we know is valuable. And, and therefore, you know, as far as the cost of it, 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 the cost is a reflection of the value that we provide to people and, that we, and, and the solutions that we provide to, to, the, to the customers that come to us. It, it is, I'll tell you, you know, it's, it is a, an interesting struggle that I noticed even in my early career, when I started my career, I told you I started in psychology. And one of the first thoughts that I remember, one of the first conversations that I had was with one of my professors in psychology when I was thinking about becoming a therapist at the time. And the conversation that we had was one of ethics. And we said, you know, how do you feel about charging people for therapy? Because basically you're charging them for, for something that they're suffering from. Right, they're, 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 oh. and and how do you make money out of that? How do you how do you feel ethically about that? Mm. And and so we looked at that from the angle of like a medical doctor. You know, well, it's the same when you go to the doctor; they get paid for the quality of the services they provide. That is helpful and is valuable and is necessary to this person. Mm. So my labor, the labor that I put into it, and the quality of work that I put into it is worth you know, the, the, the cost because of the value that I put into it. Now, other companies may be underselling themselves or individuals, you know, uh, I've seen a lot of colleagues that are, that are uh, underselling themselves that, are, that, 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 that do a lot of things for less than the value that they, that they should be collecting. Uh, and, and there may be a variety of reasons for that. You know, some, yeah, in some cases, you know, that they, it may be because they're collaborating with somebody else or they want to do it for a charity purpose or something along those lines. And we do that too. You know, there are some Likewise, courses yeah. that we provide that are of social benefit and we will give those away for free. And we have several courses that in edX, you will see some Cornell courses right yeah, there. Next, you yeah. will see, you know, other resources where, where some of those courses are there. And it's okay for us to give this away as part of our, our social responsibility side right so we want to do that but for the rest for the ones where we collect you know the money well again it's quality isn't isn't expensive quality is worth what it's worth and that's all that we're charging for as far as other organizations you know to the level of quality that they provide or not we don't we 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 can't speak to that. You know, I cannot speak to another university that I haven't worked at. It wouldn't be fair for me to speak to them uh, about them uh, anymore that it would be fair for them to speak about the quality of, of the work that I do at Cornell, you know, because they don't work there. They're not part of yeah, it. Exactly. So it, at the end of the day, I think it comes down to that exchange, right? The, the ethical exchange, and we talk about this in, in, in influence and power. When, when you're influencing someone, how do you know that you're doing it ethically, that you're doing something good you know for this person and not taking advantage of them well the way it's easy you know when 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 both of you walk away better off 
grow with growth, you know, with, 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 with something good for both of you, then you did the right thing. If, if the other person is walking away lesser, you know, lessened because of what you did, then, then that was taking advantage of them. And that's, that would be an ethical problem. I believe strongly in my heart and uh, that, that in the work that I've done after many, many people that have gone through my classes and, and with my colleagues, that the work that we do at Cornell is, is very much good work, you know, and, and I've, I've, I'm very proud to be part of that organization for that reason. Right. And I think, I think also it's because of the product fit too, mm-hmm. because you're right. If you have this certain pain, certain problems, certain thing that you want to put solution on, of course, you want to go to who is reputable, who is trusted. Again, it goes mm-hmm. back to not showing off, but rather telling the story and actually developing transformations. And then mm-hmm. it will speak on itself. Um, but I guess if you are starting, for those who are listening, of course, if you're starting in the or I mean, doing your curriculums and stuff, of course, it's okay to do to do beta testing. Um, are mm-hmm. you being opinionated, or are you are you actually beta driven? Are you actually listening well, or is it just you who's assume, I'm, assume, I'm so ah, assuming, <laughs> right? So I mean, there are a lot of factors that I can look into. But thank you so much for sharing um, mm-hmm. with us the Ivy League ways on how to do things, how you ethically do things um how does the secrets of how did cornell you know an ivy league school were able mm-hmm. to relate us together and i really wanted to say thank you thank you thank you really for you know for bringing in that space for being a catalyst of you know of bringing us together because honestly um it's not just about being a general manager honestly it's really the leadership of you being a leader for yourself as well to yourself and that in itself is already priceless um if, and, yeah, uh, if i can leave you with yeah. two things you know i would say think but, of it this way it's a, it, it is about if it's about leadership it is not about just any kind of leadership it's about inclusive leadership inclusive. that's where where we need to be as far as as far as the type of leadership that we should be seeking out the other last thing that I wanted to share with you, and, and I shared with this in an email earlier, people will judge you at the beginning, and that's why you need to create this environment and you create, need to create this story where your customers are the winners at the end, right? They are the ones who are the heroes of the story because that's what other people will look for. They'll want to see that story that you tell. If it's all about you and you're the superstar, there are some people that will want that. But the major, at the end of the day, they want to know that you can help them just like you help somebody else and other people like them. So that's at the beginning of the story. But there's also something else, and that is the end of the story. You need to close well with your customers. You need to be able to, to walk away with a good testimonial, like you said. And there, many people don't know how to do that. They're, they don't know how people are, how to be judged or what to measure at the end of the engagement or even throughout the engagement. So if you don't know if you're doing well during your engagement, or if you don't know, if you don't know what to measure, you don't know how well you're doing. Mm. So I'm going to give you one tool here or one resource and anybody can look this up online and it will help them. There's a tool that is used in the service industry that is very applicable to this industry and it's called ServeQual. But to make it a little bit less hard to remember, (laughs) a little bit easier to remember, uh, the tool is called Raider. So we we can arrange it in that format. So that's R. Raider. Okay. Yeah. A-T-E-R. 
Okay, so okay. rater, that's to rate someone, right? So the rater tool works like this. First, start with the, the first mm -hmm. thing that people are going to judge you by is your reliability. Are mm -hmm. you reliable? Are you are you going to some again? It goes back to the liking we talked about, right? Can I trust you? Can I trust that you that, that you're going to do what you said that you're going to do? Can I can I rely on you? Can I, is, is there that liking, that trust there, and that comes from the belonging? The other one is the assurance. Is there assurance that that's that's the expertise? Is there assurance that you're going to give me what you that's what you say that you think that you can give me? Can you really do this? Mm -hmm. the, if you don't provide the reliability of that assurance, at the end, people are going to rate you poorly. Tangibles. The T starts from tangibles. The tangibles are everything from how you look to the handouts that you provide, the documentation that you get. If it looks messy, if, I, if you give me something handwritten uh, and photocopied and, and, and emailed from a scan, I, I can't read this. That's a tangible that I, that I, I can't use. Tangibles mm -hmm. means being available at, like for a bank, for example. A tangible is, do you have good hours for me? If you open at 10 a.m. and you close at 2 p.m. and I get off work after five and I can't get to the bank, that's a tangible. That's anything that with my senses I can feel that I need access to. So for, mm -hmm. for, for your people, again, same thing. Is, is there something that I'm providing to people and does it look good? If I provide something within a case that looks broken, that's a tangible. The empathy part is the E. So empathy is the belonging. Are you, are you putting yourself in the shoes of your customer and can they really understand that you are providing them that belonging? The final one is responsiveness. If you are not responsive to your customers, even as they have to, if they, if, as they're doing what you're doing with them, if they shift, and this happens in our classes, someone may, may be going in this direction and then I realize that they bring up another problem and it's not related to maybe the course that we're talking about, it's related to something else. If I don't respond to that, if I ignore that need, they will remember that. So be responsive to your customers, even if they're not going in the direction or they're asking about something else that is not in your direction that you're going with. Respond to that, be responsive. So that's the, other, the last piece that I wanted to leave you with. I think that that's another thing that is necessary for you to be successful. We, we apply it all the time in our courses, at the end of our courses and throughout the courses to measure how well we are doing with our customers. Ah, thank you for letting me know about the closing because people are so used to, okay, how do I, how, what is acquisition? What is the marketing? How do we close the sale? And then how now they're inside? And then, and then, okay, how do we do on board, offboarding rather? Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, <laughs> this is good. And remember also when I was in that, um, in that, I mean, in Eric Cornell, the offboarding was, um, there was an assessment. It was like, okay, how did you do? How did you fare? But it was non-judgmental. It, it doesn't, it doesn't mm -hmm. say like, you lack this, you lack that. No, it's really more of like, these are the things that you were able to accomplish and you understood. Um, and these are da, 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 da. So it doesn't have ratings. If I remember correctly, there were no ratings, right? Oh, I just wanted to confess though. And for the audience, there was a time that in Cornell, I actually deliberately didn't answer the questions and I was half hard. I mean, I just thought like putting some sentence there for the sake of answering it. I actually failed it. <laughs> well, it's not really failed, but it's really more of reminded like, hey, take it seriously. Mm -hmm right? Go back to it, right? And I love mm -hmm. that approach. Now, the reason why I deliberately did that 
it's because I went through other um, schools or other methodologies wherein you're just going to fail, basically. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. that's it. Like red mark, red paper. It's like, yeah. And then I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I wonder how would Cornell do this? What would Cornell do? Mm-hmm. So um, being the curious me of, of structure, mm-hmm. so I just actually play with it. And I was laughing because I got back and with a result like, Cassie, do you want to take it seriously? <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, okay. I was just kidding. Do I have another chance? Like, yes, you do. Okay, let me do it. Let me do it. So, I mean, it just proves to show as well for leadership. And that was exactly what I was looking for because I didn't want to go through another curriculum wherein, oh, do this, learn this, you realize this. And then after that, okay, you got A+. Plus. I mean, what does mm-hmm. it say? It, it, like, there's a disconnect. But with what I've learned with an Ivy League methodology is that there's no such thing as failure, but rather, what is it that you're learning? And if you're not learning, it just means you're not taking an effort. You are not making an effort, which I deliberately did that, but it was just just to test how it was, the structure. Um, Always assume that the person is on the right path and they they have the right motivation. You know, everybody wants to learn. Everybody wants to do better. Everybody wants to improve and grow. So if we start, you you are the owner of your path, not me, not anybody else. I'm not going to force you to get anywhere. Only you can do that. So if we allow that freedom for you to be you and fail when you needed to test it and fail, but going back to Raider, if we have the empathy Yes. To allow for that to happen. Allow that to happen. Respond. If you're responsive, respond to that. Don't ignore it. But reach out. And we do that. You know that. Yes, you did. (laughs) We reach out and we say, hey, um, I I just noticed that you you missed the mark here and all the other work was great. So Mm. tell me what happened. So we go back to what, what do you think you liked about this answer? And how do you think it could be better? That conversation is example again of that Z model that we talked about, right? that right there is what we're trying to implement so we do practice it we do practice that conversation and we do we do put it into action and it obviously had a result you know it had the result that we decided so i'm glad to hear that yeah it really took um i mean it it really was pivotal to me because the way that i also understand people regardless of if i was a consultant helping just one client or a service being a service space but all those endeavors actually that i've been through for me, there is no such thing as failure. So don't tell me that I failed or don't tell me that it was a failed campaign. It's just more of like, what is it that we lacked or what is it what could have been done better? Or why did you miss this mark? Why did you do that? And even my mentees, right? Sometimes they're tired, right? And then, okay, you weren't able to do it. It's okay. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it just happened. Life is not linear. So what happened? How do we make things better? So it really took a really good impression to me and also um, effect the way that I they do things. So again, I can't stop saying thank you. So thank you, Ikrina. In days like today, it's so important yeah. to know that and to do that because people are exhausted. There's so much <laughs> happening right now. This pandemic is getting a lot of people very exhausted, very tired, very frustrated. We don't know what is happening in their lives or what their family members are going through or their loved ones. And we more than ever today, I think, need to share that message of understanding, compassion, empathy, uh, professionalism. You know, we yeah. don't walk away. We don't allow us to, to just fail. You know, we, we do want to move forward. We want to move the needle. But we can do it with, with kindness. Right. I totally agree. 
Well, that ends today's episode. Um, are there any last words that you wanted to um, share? Maybe actionable steps that our people can actually do right now. Our audience are from the, I mean, the consulting and mm -hmm. coaching space. You have any last words for them? So my last recommendations to all of you would be this. Like we said before, right? We talked about knowing, uh, being an expert means knowing your stuff, knowing your content. So if, if, if you're being in, in any of the spaces that you're in and you need to build that expertise, look for opportunities to build expertise, rely on other resources if you don't have your own, right? So you don't have to do always be the expert yourself. But if you can, yes, absolutely, join the programs that are available, you know, go through courses, go through expertise, build that up, uh, join membership panels, you know, more joined uh, groups of, of, of the field that you're in and learn more about it. Read magazines and articles that are from reputable sources, you know, so that you can be considering that, that expert and work the expertise in a parallel path, work that EQ. The, the emotional intelligence aspect of this can never be understated. So whatever you can do to continue to develop your people skills, your understanding of other people, continue to do that. And if that means understanding your own style, going through EQ courses, taking something like the Myers-Briggs, the MBTI assessment or the TRACOM assessment, do what you need to do, but work on that uh, uh, skill set first and foremost alongside again in parallel with your expertise those will be your two keys to success thank you so much jorge well this ends today's episode i just wanted to um, share a little bit of the summary i guess the summary of what i've learned today and a little reminder for everybody um, which i also share with my mentees on my social every day actually what i believe in is that train like an athlete you are a business athlete um, think like a scientist in whatever that you do, you test, don't do hypotheses, don't assume things, but ask and understand. Meditate like a monk so that you get to have a better assessment of things. Do a diagnosis like a doctor and of course, serve with a heart. So thank you so much, Jorge, again, for being here. It's such a privilege. Thank you for teaching us a Raider model for also the Ivy League ways, uh, for teaching me. Um, I am a proud product of eCornell. And also, <laughs> so yeah, so do to, 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 our, to our listeners, um, please do drop me a message on Instagram. It's Kasi Pajarillo on what you picked up on today's episode. If you have any questions whatsoever for me or Jorge, go ahead and drop it. Or you can also reach out to Jorge. Jorge, where can they reach you? The best way is to reach out to me through LinkedIn. So if you go through my LinkedIn profile, you look up my name, Jorge Acuna, they will be easy to find. Otherwise, it's LinkedIn. And I believe that uh, after the slash is development for the number four managers. And you'll be able to find me there. Right. Honestly, LinkedIn really worked best. Um, I became a... They, People call me as a LinkedIn queen. Um, mm -hmm. I gotta thank Jorge for that, actually. <laughs> he was like, go stalk people. And I just did. <laughs> so yeah. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, I would love to feature also your key takeaways, you guys. So send it over and we'll endeavor to have that discussed on the succeeding episode. Again, this is your chief encourager, your host, Cassie Pajarita Braganza, Drive Ambition, Serve Love, Be Awesome. And again, think like an Ivy League. Thanks, everybody. You just finished listening to another episode of the Ambitious Tribe podcast by Cassie Pajarillo. If you liked today's episode, 
Make sure to leave Cassie a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's also available on Spotify and Google Podcast. Don't forget to tag Cassie Pajarillo on Instagram or message her straight on LinkedIn. You may also head over to the Ambitious Tribe with a Plan Facebook group and be encouraged by soul-aligned and ambitious humans on the planet. Remember, you can definitely build a better business.